0: everyone, I'm Joe Bauer and welcome to another episode of Without a Path. Today I'm excited to share my conversation with Courtney Tenz, a freelance writer and translator based in nearby Cologne, Germany. We met up a few weeks ago in a park outside of the K21 Art Museum in Dusseldorf and talked about everything from being an American immigrant in Germany to how you can tell an American from a European by the way they dress. And now enjoy the ambient sound of the outdoors, shoes crushing against footpaths, the occasional baby stroller bouncing by, and the numbing hum of weekend traffic as we head to the park for this, the first outdoor recorded episode of Without a Path.
1: I've been here since 2005, and the short version of it is that I got a Fulbright grant to come here and do research for a novel. I was getting my MFA, needed to write a book, and there was a couple things that interested me, and I wasn't quite sure how to make it work. So that's the, long, the short story of it. And because I was on a Fulbright, it was a limited contract or, you know, limited to a year. And I didn't think of myself as an immigrant at that point, basically because I never knew if I was going to go back to the U.S. Um, I didn't have plans to stay here permanently, but I didn't have plans to go back to the U.S. either. I was sort of like in this gray area. The research that I chose to do is very Germany-specific. So it was sort of like, if I'm going to do this research, okay, i got to stick around until it's done. And it just kept going on and on and on. Um, And the whole time I never thought of myself as an immigrant. And I really, you know, when I was 15, I lived with um, my aunt, and she was married to an Iranian who had been in the U.S. when um, the revolution took place. Wow. He was definitely an immigrant, and he was not, like... He was there for college and couldn't go home again. So he was really, really refugee immigrant. And that's always what's been in my mind, is this guy who just misses home so much, does won't see his parents before they die, you know, doesn't get to take part in weddings. And and that's what I affiliated the immigrant life with. Um, and so I was very adamant, like, that's not what I'm doing. I can go home at right. any time. You know, and it's also like the Edward Said reflections on exile. You know, there is a difference between somebody who can... Choose this life, and, right. and I think, as an American, you know we we do have that privilege that you know we're not necessarily fleeing
0: things. for sure i like I've always called myself here a privileged immigrant like i I'm not here for economic reasons, I'm here because, like you, I fell in love with the sidewalk culture, the not having to have a car, uh, trains everywhere, I can hike everywhere, but if if the shit hit the fan, I could. I'm privileged enough that I can just hop back home and go to the United States if I needed to.
1: Yeah, although I've got to say, I've got a kid now, and mm-hmm. that attitude has changed. Um, I think, you know, for her, Germany's home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, she has a very strong connection to the U.S., but it's not, you know, it's she doesn't have the knowledge that, that I have or the connection to it. Um, but it doesn't feel to me like home anymore because of some of the attitudes uh, that have shifted Mm -hmm. but also you know i I purposely chose to stay here when i had a kid because a i got maternity leave b i got daycare you know c i got health insurance And, and D, I don't have to worry about my kid being shot in school. Yeah. You know, it's... Um,
0: not small things.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't feel as much of like it's a choice anymore. It, it definitely feels like, oh, yep, I'm an immigrant and I'm here and it's not going to change. And I think the the bigger distinction that Americans make is um, the the distinction between immigrant and expat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, you know, I'm not middle class. I didn't... I didn't know anybody who worked for multinationals who could just, like, you know, get transferred. So the word expat wasn't in my vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It referred, you know, for me it was, like, 1920s Hemingway and Fitzgerald were expats, but what I was doing wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I first heard the word, I sort of, like, adopted it as this, like, oh, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing because I don't quite fit the immigrant molds. but I... Because you saw
0: the immigrant role is what the Iranian man... Right, right.
1: But, um, I mean, I think expats are really the people who don't integrate, don't want to learn the culture, don't want to speak the language. And so I don't, I, I don't think I've ever really fit that bill and I don't ever feel like that was, you know, what I was. So yeah, I guess, you know, I'm an immigrant, have been.
0: Well, for um, sure. Cause you're, you're, I think you said you're fluent in German now and that's like your, your living.
1: Yeah. I mean, no, and, I only work in, I only work in English. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm fluent in German. I, most of my, acquaintances friends whatever are german i've you know thought about german citizenship um not going to do it but thought about it (laughs) you know um so yeah i guess i can't not be one but it Uh does feel a little like i don't know um i I still just affiliate immigrants with people who are looking for a better life than they can have at home and i don't feel like that fits me Mm
0: -hmm. you know but but it sounds like you're to some degree, have a, a better life here because you sounds like you would be worried about your child if she were in the states for the various reasons you described. So, isn't that a little bit like you you're, you found a better life here, at least for her?
1: Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm conflicted about my life here. Sure. Um, I think that there's a lot of good about living in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't outweigh the goods and the bad, you know, like I can't do the, is it better here or worse? For sure. Um, I definitely think of immigrants as being economically a worse off, um, and that's why they come. And and that's just a, you know, that's my own thing. I think it's, you know, maybe it's because we're American and we were taught, that you know, that people immigrated to America right. because of the American dream. And I just don't feel like, I mean, I guess I am living the American dream in Germany. You know, I can do, I, my parents were factory workers and now I'm at the university, you know, it's like, uh, I guess it's upward mobility, but yeah. it doesn't always necessarily feel
0: like that. Yeah, I mean that, that's why I got curious on this topic because, like I said, we're the, the seeing that if you're if you're an immigrant, then of course you're in the U.S. But uh, you probably know more about this than I do. But I I think right before I moved here, I saw that the U.S. does have uh, the highest immigrant population or intake of immigrants still. But I think Germany was second, no? Or it's up there
1: uh, of refugees or no, immigrants? no of of, of,
0: of immigrants? just immigrants, yeah.
1: Oh. I mean, I guess... I mean, the, the, the history of Germany, it has it that, you know, all the men died twice, you know? <laughs> um, it's, it's a rough way of putting it, but... I didn't know until we got here. Um, there was an art exhibition right as we came in 2005 in Cologne called Project Migration. Okay. And it was telling the stories of these people who had come from other European countries to rebuild Germany. And I guess I didn't... Like, I, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know... That because there weren't any men left, um, they brought them in from other countries. And those people and their children and their children's children are the people who we think of as German today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that I ever would have thought that they're immigrants, you know, like it's just a thing that I think maybe because I'm American, like the guy who's got an Italian grandfather is just as American as I am. Mm -hmm. It's the same as the guy who's got an Italian dad is, you know as much a german as my daughter is Mm -hmm. um and i feel like you know maybe i'm exceptional in in that way in that way of thinking because i definitely hear i mean i'm I'm friends with and you know my whole community is academica which is you know quite strange for me but you know it works (laughs) um and they just drop stuff like i'm going to the mexicans tonight And they mean they're going to the Mexican restaurant, you know. Interesting. But they'll just be like, yeah, Iki, it's a Mexicana. And I think, like, at what point is this Mexican guy, you know, ever going to be the guy who is German, you know. But at the same time, he's not even Mexican, he's American, you know. But they're still, like, making these distinctions, you know, ethnic distinctions that I, you know, I I really struggle to, like, do we do that? I'm not sure, you know. You mean in
0: in, uh, in English in the U.S.? Yeah. I don't know. I guess I never thought about that. But I also think, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this because yet another reason why I've been interested in this topic is because um, although the U.S. certainly has a lot of immigrants and I could even see that in the neighborhood that I last lived in, in Cleveland, I feel like maybe because just cities are more dense in Europe that that maybe people are more exposed as opposed into the states where there's a bit more sprawl. And that maybe maybe you interact with the city a little bit, but you have a more homogenous community in wherever you live outside of the city. Or, or now we have states that have had so many generations of Americans that it's a bit more homogenous. Uh,
1: he, you know, I don't know, because, you know, I, I lived in Chicago. We definitely had the, oh, yeah, the Polish yeah. and the Yugoslavian neighborhoods.
0: And that, that's where I got my experience of, like, seeing culture. So I think there's definitely exceptions in the states for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, where my parents live now, there's a large community of Hmong immigrants, the largest in the world, Mm -hmm. I think, outside of uh, Vietnam. uh, and they still speak Hmong and everything, and people know that they exist. But I don't know that you would say, like, um, I'm going over to my Hmong friend's house. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm still the Ami. You know, I'm still... that People are still talking to my kid at her school as an immigrant. And she has never lived outside of Germany, you know? And you see this with within her class, for example. And I, and I know that, like, I'm privileged as an American. Like, if I speak English to my daughter, it's rare that people will say something rude to me it has happened oh yeah happened. you're in Germany
0: you speak German yeah it yeah, has yeah, happened
1: yeah. you know people are are not always friendly about it but... I've
0: certainly had that happen at the Amts in Deutsch in Deutschland
1: yeah yeah okay so I'll <laughs> <laughs> send
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I think Cologne is also a little different because I think they said 40% of our population is migrant. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Or, or you know, und Hintergrund, as they say, which could mean that they actually were born in Germany, you know, um, but uh, don't look German or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a phrase that I don't like very much. But, um, but you know, it, it, it's clear that the kids in, in my daughter's school who are doing poorly are the ones whose parents don't speak German at home. And uh, I go into parent-teacher meetings and I say very clearly, I do not speak German at home and I will not. And they say, wow, that's such an advantage. That's so good for your kid. And I know that they are not saying it to the Turkish moms and to the Italian moms and, you know, and that's sort of like, um, you know, I I think that there there are still distinctions that exist in Germany. Um, I I don't think that they allow for it to be homogenous in the way that Americans do. And I think that that's part of the issue with with integration that we talk about. It's a two-way street. Sure. And I don't think that people mentally have accepted their role in making these immigrants a part of their community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's also partially why it doesn't feel homogenous in the way that it did, you know, in the U.S.
0: Do you think that's because, you know, for all the problems that uh, U.S. childhood education has, I do feel that the immigrant story was one that was in textbooks and reading about Ellis Island and learning about that. I don't know anything about the German educational system, but perhaps they don't trumpet this story of you know we're an immigrant nation and like think of all the turkish families who came here and the, or especially right we're talking in Dusseldorf of all the japanese families that came after the war to help with manufacturing do you know if maybe they maybe they just don't promote that as much and so then when they get older they still think of you know people based off their ethnicity because they don't they don't get that kind of hammered into their heads that you know no know if you're born here and just because your grandfather happened to be from someplace else you're you're from here
1: I mean, you know, the first year that I was here, I taught in a gymnasium, um, and I don't remember anything about that being, you know, part of their curriculum, but that doesn't mean anything. That just means, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't in the classes that I was in. (laughs) Um, The students, though, do learn, when they're studying English for Abitur, they Mm -hmm. learn about the American dream and the melting pot. Interesting. Yeah. So they definitely have it taught to them, but from the American perspective. And I think if you have a good teacher, the teacher will probably make a comparison to Germany. Um, but that, w- I mean, I was brought in uh, through the, the embassy to classrooms to explain America's history of immigration. Um, so I know that they know about the possibility. If they know their own history... They know, can
0: maybe connect the uh, dots. May, yeah,
1: but if, you know I don't know that they get it. I, I, I really don't know. And I, and I think it's really... Um, to be honest, it hasn't been as big an issue or as openly discussed until the refugees came. Uh, I I think that everybody has it in their history, uh, in their family tales that, you know, the Sudetenland was evacuated, um, northern Poland was evacuated. um, So they have their own immigrant history, pretty clearly told. Um, But post-war, you know, I just don't know really what that looks like and and I think that there's also you know there's also the distinction that has to be made between East and West Germany because I know that the Easterners had a lot of um, people who came from Vietnam who were you know because they were also communist um, they were sent back in 1990
0: the Vietnamese Germans yeah. were sent back yeah
1: 40,000 of them Wow, were sent back yeah and um You know, I don't know if people talk about that history, if that's, you know... Why were
0: they sent back? Just purely racial reasons?
1: You know, it was in 1990, so, you know, I I don't know the history well enough to say, Mm -hmm. but um, I imagine, you know, it's not communist anymore. We don't have the agreement or something. Ah, yeah, so when
0: the wall came down and political unification. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, I can't say that for sure, but that's sort of like a conspicuous year. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the the timing works out for your theory. (laughs) Um and I there was a movie that I saw a documentary a couple years ago called Operation Zaenzook which is a story of Korean nurses that were brought here in the 50s and nobody nobody that I talked to knows this story but they had a nursing shortage brought these Korean women here they all married made their lives here I think even in the Düsseldorf area um always with the idea that you know maybe at some point they would go back um and now they're retired and there's a community in Korea that's made to be, built to look like a German village, and they uh, imported these Korean nurses with their husbands to to the village so that they could have authentic Germans living there. Wow! Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's a it's a great movie if you want to talk about the history of Germany yeah. and uh, and immigration and. You know, it kind of amazes me. The statistics completely, you know, I, I don't know where the, what they are, how many Korean nurses were here, but there were definitely a large contingent of them here for a while. Oh, I definitely um, want
0: to look up that movie. But I want to, I want to ask, um, I feel like I could pick your brain all day about German, this interesting German history I didn't know about, but you mentioned at the beginning that you got the Fulbright scholarship to write a book.
1: I got or... a Fulbright scholarship um, to, do, to do research and to teach. Um, okay. And I had to finish a book for my master's so
0: well tell tell me a little bit about the book uh if if, if you want to talk about it uh
1: yeah the book that I ended up writing is not the book that I was researching um and it's not published for good reason um but the research that I did um it's kind of a tough topic um I uh I came here in 2005 uh, pretty upset with uh, the political situation in the U.S. and um, landed in a class with a teacher who was teaching us theories of um, serality <laughs> versus reality according to Slavoj Zizek, which is you know wow. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, he's kind of amazing and essentially you know what she was doing was setting us up for th- thinking more in depth about how September 11th has changed or had changed since its occurrence, based on how it was represented in movies and TV, hmm. right? And I was like thinking of that because I have memories of that day, and I and my husband didn't have the same memories that I had. Interesting. And he was like at the time like watching like conspiracy theory movies and you oh know, boy. And, and it was amazing to see how much his memory shifted based on like, what he'd been watching. And um, that was something that interested me as a fiction writer and a nonfiction writer. Um, I took a lot of classes in memoir and we always were talking about how does your memory shift over time, what's accurate, you know, what's real. And um, at the same time that that happened, um, you know, there was a big discussion in Germany about World War II. Uh, there always is a discussion here about that, but a particular element of it um, and how it was being represented. And one of the stories that initially was told and then was not told, was untold, um, and then came out in a movie around that time um, was the story of uh, the rape of German women by liberating forces. And that became my research product. Was wow. to, yeah, there's. Um, there's a really great book about it uh, and a movie called Anonymous, The Diary of a Woman in Berlin. It's a movie that's tough to watch but is actually really well made. Um, and that was sort of like a, when that came out, okay, we've got to have this conversation again. And it was interesting to read and, and learn at that time about how much that conversation could change because of the distance in time, but also how much memory was influenced by um b- b- by like the stories that they were telling about the war mm-hmm. after the war had happened because uh <laughs> if you really want to know more, I keep <laughs> talking but uh questions of uh, perpetrator victim transitional justice you know if if you're told as a german woman that the germans are responsible for the war can you feel guilty for your own assault?
0: Wow, that's a that's a deep question.
1: Yeah, that's um, so. <laughs> anyway, you can delete that if you want. That's my research, um, and that's sort of why that book never got written. Is because it just is a, an unbelievable topic, and um, you know, one of the statistics that they said was like two million women were raped uh, in the East, um, and wow. I think you know there's books about it, but there's not two million books, you know. Um, and I don't think that everybody has to tell their story or anything like that. Um, but it's definitely not something that's talked about uh, within the culture. Um, and just two years ago, um, there was documents unveiled that nobody knew about that showed that the Nazis were doing the same thing. Um, and so there's then you know more questions of transitional justice perpetrator victim you know who's who's at fault and 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 how and at the same time there's the UN conference uh, where they're talking about can rape be considered an act of genocide um and all that sort of stuff has been going on in the background and so when I got here and I started like looking into that topic I mean it was with this idea um if bad things happen to Germans, can we still talk about them you know in the war or in the context of the war? Uh, yeah. Right, because when you watch a, a movie, you know this is the, the, the short version. when you watch a movie about the war that's made by an American, it's mm-hmm. always we're the heroes, um, these total villains right. with the stupid accent, you know, and it was it's been rare to see the kind of documentaries that you see in Europe where they talk about, hey, we did this bad thing, but you know, we weren't the only ones. And at the same time, there was, you know, oh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote about it really well, you know, the firebombing of Dresden. And all right, that, yeah, all that I read stuff. that
0: before I went to Dresden, and that was very interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, you should also read, if you're interested in that, W.G. Bald's On the Natural History of Destruction. Okay. It talks uh, about the firebombing of Hamburg, which is interesting. interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, I'm learning more about this too, like the things that happened to the Germans as a result, like uh, I was just learning, I think just yesterday, I was listening to another podcast about uh, the the current refugee crisis in Germany and they referenced a song that had come out I I think right after the war called uh, Lied der Flüchtlinge," the Song of the Refugees Uh and it's just interesting to hear like, it's like, oh yeah, I mean they they were ethnic Germans in Eastern Europe who the Soviets My history is very rough on this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they got kicked out and sent back to the the new political boundaries of Germany. So it's kind of interesting to me how this is all coming in kind of in a way full circle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a book that I contributed to that I could give to you. That it was made for refugees um, on the history of refugees in Europe. Um, Interesting. It's really nice history lesson. Um, The history section was written by a woman from Belgium, so she's very thorough. um, but it, you know, it's not the German perspective, it's the, you know, not the invaders, but the invaders' mm-hmm. perspective um, on history. Uh, and I think, you know, when they wrote that book or when they put the books together, it was really with this idea of making refugees aware that they weren't the first to be doing this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, and that that also, though, had an impact on, for example, why Germany was more willing to take refugees than other, than other countries.
0: I could keep talking about this all day, but uh, to, to kind of wrap things up, I'm curious, is there anything you're working on now? You, you worked on that book for the Fulbright Scholarship. It sounds like you contributed to another book. Is there anything that you're working on now?
1: Uh, in terms of immigration? And well, no, just no. anything at all. Like.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God, I'm always working. I'm always working. Got a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I don't know.
0: Any Any passion projects that you're excited about or...?
1: Um are we promoting?
0: <laughs> I know it it can, it can be the, it can be the uh the shoehorn. What are you doing? Where's your social media and all that stuff? But uh no, but I'm I'm curious of what are you working on right now? That uh, that you're excited about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't talk about my book projects while they're in in progress. Okay. Um the one about uh the the rape in war. I've kind of that's in a drawer and I don't think it's going to come back out. Um I think it's interesting I think there are better writers doing it. Um i'm working on a novel that's just for fun you know i i work as a journalist sometimes um writing essays and stuff and that kind of stuff is uh, still happening and then i have a website that i started with a friend called transatlantic mode which is um transatlanticmode.com um (laughs) see that that, that's a good that's a good promotion (laughs) um and it's just a it's just a fun little project that we do where we're talking about the idea of being people who are permanently not in their home. Um, and the idea of, you know, the transatlantic mode is like we're always in airplane mode. We're always somewhere else. Um, we both made our home in Cologne. We both came from the U.S. But um, maybe, you know, maybe that's also part of the, immig- the immigrant experience that I don't think of as being immigrant, but... Uh, travel all the time mm-hmm. um and so it's just a site where we talk about
0: well certainly now because i mean if you have the means there's the ability to do it as opposed to like when the waves of immigrants are going to the united states it's a little more difficult for to hop back on a boat to go visit your parents in poland for christmas or something but oh, yeah, yeah. now now there's an expectation like this technology's here so yeah, use it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah and but, i mean also the, there's sort of like this I don't know. It's definitely changed in the last 10 years or so where you feel like oh, there's all this world out there to see and I've got to go and see it. And uh, so the project is really, it's about fashion and style, but it's much more about the mentality between, you know, a, a little bit like how do we feel, um, in what ways do we feel European, what ways do we feel American, um, especially expressed through clothing, right? Can, through I ask you,
0: can I ask you that? That's a super interesting question. Can I just <laughs> put that back on you? Like, how do you feel... Uh, American and European in, in terms of style?
1: Oh, in terms of... Oh, in or just any, of, in
0: any way that you want to define it. I mean, You know, in, when,
1: I, when I'm when i in the States, everybody immediately knows that I'm not from there. Um, it doesn't matter where I am, they know I'm not from there.
0: Interesting. What's the tell?
1: Um, I don't know. You know, one cab driver said that it was my accent. <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't understand anything you're saying, so I guess I should be proud, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's a little, like... You know, from the, fa- the fashion perspective, uh, Europeans, like black, you know, we like to wear slim black clothes, mm. tight jeans, uh, um, turtleneck sweaters, the, you know, the Dieter skit from Saturday Night Live.
0: Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> It's
1: like <laughs> the ultimate, you know.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I think that, you know, even when I was in the States, uh, it was kind of clear to me that I didn't fit in with the, the jeans wearing, you know, the college hoodie wearing, which is not to say, you know, I'm opposed to it. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that sets me off as the, like, the stupid American here is that when I first got here, I tried to get into a nightclub wearing a pair of Birkenstocks, you know, because they were the height of fashion for us. And the guy was like, those are your house shoes. You are not coming in. Um, so yeah, from that fashion perspective. I think also though, you know, um, I, I think it's just, it's really changed because Instagram has made uh, boundaries, you know, sort of disappear when it comes to fashion. Uh, you know, I think I, I'm, one of the things that I'm working on sort of as a passion project was sort of because I'm like super interested, is this a scammer girl? I don't know if you've I heard just, I this, saw,
0: but... yeah, I just saw a blip of it, but I don't know the details. So
1: there's a this, 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 this story of this girl, Anna Delvey, who was um, in hotels in Soho the meatpacking district and not paying her bills and there was a really interesting article about how you, know, you could tell that she wasn't an actual European heiress based on the way that she dressed or something like that. Really? She wasn't you know, rich because she was wearing H&M but then had Celine glasses, which is actually you know, the fun thing that I'm writing about is this is totally Instagram fashion you buy the cheapest clothes with the most expensive accessories that's, just, that's how fashion works right now
0: Interesting.
1: Um, but she's from Cologne. Um, really? Yeah, I want to <laughs> find somebody who knows her. I am, like, Get desperate the exclusive. to... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, find out who's got her on speed dial. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's reading about how she presented herself in a way that they knew was, you know, wealth or not wealth or, you know, European or not. And, you know, the article was also really interesting because it was like, yeah, everything that she did was like, it reads like a um, textbook... Uh, I want to be a New Yorker and uh, mm. not like what real New Yorkers do and so well, that was kind of interesting to me anyway interesting yeah so that's my deal
0: oh cool well I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, I know we, we should get walking around and see some of the city but I'll, I'll look at transatlanticmode.com it was
1: yeah yeah it's cool. just a fun thing yeah yeah Hey, you know what? I wanted to tell you one thing. Sure, yeah, one, go for One it. funny story. Um, or I don't know if it's a funny story, but I think it's something worth considering. Um, and uh, one of the things that I've been doing in the last couple of years since uh, people have been talking about refugees invading mm-hmm. the country um, has been really paying attention to how other people are being treated around me, um, using my privilege as an English-speaking immigrant mm-hmm. to call out the the xenophobia and the bad experiences that other people are having. And I think that that's something really worth considering. Um, you, you know, when, when we were in back to Scotland a couple of years ago, um, the refugees were coming over the border at the time and I didn't know it. Uh, we were traveling, uh, I was traveling for a guidebook that I was writing and, uh, while we were standing in line, a man got really aggressive with me. Um, and told me in the middle of the conversation, even though we were speaking German, um, that I should go back to where I came from. And um, it was frustrating, but I thought like, well, you know, in front of my kid, I'm not going to really get too angry at him, but I have to make sure that she knows that this is not okay, you know. Um, And nearby were other people who were clearly not German speakers who didn't understand this was going on. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can recommend this town, this place,
0: if this is the attitude. If this is
1: the attitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in fact, has its own history. Um, but then, you know, another place, very similar thing happened. And I feel like, you know, uh, that we have to get to the point where we, if we're going to accept ourselves as immigrants, also have to start standing up for the other immigrants and for the other people. And so that's one of the things that I'm, you know, not working on, but in my own personal life, you know. Yeah. we gotta, We got to say... You know, maybe bring our own American perspective into it like hey it's not a big deal that we came from wherever else right. and, um, and also I think you know I also think it's kind of funny um, because I call myself an Ami and that's you, I've never know,
0: heard well oh, is that just like a shorthand for a medi it,
1: it's the shorthand but it's, it's, a, it's a curse it's not it's, it's, it's
0: meant to be derogatory yeah, yeah interesting
1: yeah yeah and it's a reference to the old soldiers that were here before and there's also the other you know curse word imi right which I mean? uh, Imi means immigrant. Oh, yeah. So I call myself an Ami Imi because I like to watch people and their faces uh-huh. and how they react because they'll they'll be like, "Well, you, know, you probably shouldn't say that." And and I and I say it as a way of like making people aware, like you know, you, you, if I weren't here, you would probably refer to me as an Ami. So let's make sure that you know we're clear on the fact that I know that you think of me as somebody as an outsider or, or you know as an as an immigrant. And and I think that it doesn't do a lot but it does enough to make people you know really aware of their underlying prejudices because I think that that is one of the big you know mm-hmm. the big discussions that needs to be had especially when everybody who is you know an academica is reading Die Zeit which has articles talking about how they're afraid of you know the person standing in line at the bakery who doesn't. Oh speak yeah, the uh, FTP <laughs> guy. Uh, the FTP <laughs> like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: anyway, <laughs> that's the thing I'm working on in a, on a personal level.
0: But no, I've actually I've never, I've never gotten anything happen to me. But my wife, um, she they have stormed the Rathaus for carnival here, and I think it happened both years. She did it last year with her friends and did it uh, this year, and I think it happened both times where it was the same group of uh german women started chanting go home american and i don't know maybe they i'd have to ask if they used the word ami because I, I also wonder i mean if your german's not that great and we're we're both still uh learning not the easiest one to just to uh, pick up but uh like how you can be aware that people are talking about you that way because i've never heard of this of this ami
1: yeah i mean I learned it, I think, from somebody who knew soldiers, you know, and I think it's definitely more uh, in the the former American quarters, you know, where the the army bases are. There's definitely that that uh, that breakup, but you know, I think you know, once you start, once you understand the language, you'll hear it, Mm -hmm. and it's. it's not to say that like all Germans are racist. No, I, I, like that, I found you know? for the
0: most. I mean, in my anecdotal experiences, I, people seem to talk very positively of uh, immigrants. Uh, uh, in general, it seems to be good. Or like even it's on the news. The, the AfD had their protest in, in Berlin, but then they got like there's like one to five with the, uh, the I don't know. I guess just Berliners being Berliners. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the nightclubs organize a dance R- off, you know. Right, right, yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. Uh, so
0: I mean, and I and I've seen, I've spoken to other people in Munich who say like, you know, when those groups come out, that they say that more people come out in support of. So I think that that is reflective. But yeah, you, I've, I've anecdotally also seen people on the other side to put it Uh, lightly
1: (laughs) uh, I I mean I don't know though but I've seen it
0: in the states too because
1: we had a Pegida demonstration in Cologne where three people showed up but we still got nine percent of the vote for AFD I mean Mm. you know there's definitely some not really openly remarked upon prejudices and I think that that's also partly why I I, you know I you know just one quick example is that uh, my kids school makes them go to church once a month it's not a Catholic school Uh, it's just for fun but the preacher preaches, mm-hmm. and I disagree with um, religion in schools. It doesn't mean that I'm not religious. It means that I disagree with the idea of not separating education mm-hmm. from religion, especially if you have a religious school right next door anyway. You know, right. I could have chosen the Catholic school, and I didn't. Um, and uh, I put up a fuss about it, and I was the only one who did it. And, you know, and another mom came to me, and she said, Why are you doing this? Why are you being so angry about it? And I said, because if I don't do this, you know those Muslim people because there are Muslim kids who don't go to church with with the group, they feel like they're being left out and they're not going to say anything because they're the outsiders. but here I am, I could say to you oh, okay i'm I'm a Christian or whatever, and I still don't believe in it. you're going to believe me more than you're going to believe this other mm-hmm. you know this other religion and um I, I don't know that that's right, but I think it definitely opened up the discussion in a way that I don't think would have you know, there's a lot of things that are just taken for granted
0: here. A big old hats licking donk to Courtney for taking the time to chat with me during her quick visit to Dusseldorf. Again, if you want to catch up with her, you can find her at CourtneyTenz.com, TransAtlanticMode.com, or on Twitter, at CourtneyTenz. Or if you're one of those people who listens to podcasts on the webpage, then you can just scroll down and get clicking on some links. Now, not much is new over at WithoutAPath.com, which... You would already know if you're listening from the site. But we do have a new Trailblazers interview up, and this time I'm featuring my friend Christy Dietz of AsausageHas2.com. You might also recognize her from my little Wine on the Ride video I posted about a month or so ago. Christy and I will actually be traveling together shortly to do a little story on Usadam, Germany, up in the Baltic Sea, and likely recording a podcast during the train ride up there. Speaking of podcasts, next time I'll be sharing my conversation with Portia, or Pip, of pipandthecity.com. Pip and I met up at a coffee shop here in Dusseldorf to talk about all things Wales and the time she drank cocktails on a rooftop in Palestine. Until then, thanks for listening, and I hope you're having a good start to the summer, Northern Hemisphere listening people. Get out there and go do something slightly stupid and report back, Okay. Okay. No es santo que me hagas